When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. High in the air, Brito back at the wall, adios, Pelota! That's the type of manager that I'd like to be, which is the same every day. They know what they're going to get. They're going to get energy, they're going to get accountability, they're going to get structure, and they're going to get support. And I'm going to bring those things to the dugout in the clubhouse regularly. It takes hard work, uh, and it takes humility, taking one step forward at a time, making one good baseball move after another. And I really feel like that's how we're going to get where we hope and intend to go. You're listening to Bags and Brisby on Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 171 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. I am Grant Brisby. I'm here with Andy Baggerly. And Andy, I'm not going to get cute with the Easter egg this time. Uh, 171 uh, times I've watched the replay of the Czech swing. 171 hitless at-bats from the Giants outfield. Uh, how about 171 podcast episodes of Bags and Brisby with the 171st being the saddest. Oh, yes, uh, there are many, many emotions, as there are, you know, when every season comes to a close, even 100 lost seasons, when they come to a close, you have some emotions and, you know, you're going to be missing baseball for a while. And uh, that that clearly is not the overriding emotion right now. It's you feel a little bit cheated. You feel a little bit, uh, you know, like maybe a, a song you really liked and thought was really catchy goes out on a really bad note. And, um, <laughs> you know, it's it's uh, it's there is a lot to process. But that is why we are here. Yeah, you know, I don't know if this is going to make it in my article because I think it's a little too clunky in written form. But it's I'm trying to find the analogy, but it's like a title card inserted like two and a half hours into The Godfather. That's like, what happened to the Corleone family? We don't know. But there was an earthquake that devastated the tri-state area. Uh, thanks for coming. <laughs> and it's like, wait, no, that answers nothing. That, that was such a great movie. What happened? Um, it, it is. So let me ask you, when you think of the 2021 season right now do you remember like wow what a run it's a shame that it ended on that note or are you still thinking gosh i really want to peek into the alternate dimension where wilmer flores gets one more pitch well so the great boston red sox scribe peter abraham said that it was a sopranos ending and i thought that was the perfect way to phrase it because it was this great show you couldn't get enough of it you couldn't wait to tune in from day to day or from week to week you know the character development was just off the charts that the the plot twists it was you know it was funny at times it was compelling and then it ends with don't stop but <laughs> and that's it it's like what it's gonna end that way you know and uh, i was talking to uh farhan zaidi after the the game um and basically you know we can we're lucky we can do this at the athletic we don't have to write something on deadline right away so after they finished all of the media availability and and um there wasn't a whole lot of it to be honest there were like three players that they brought down in the dugout and then they had darren ruff and logan webb in the interview room and gabe kapler and that was pretty much it so everybody else went upstairs i stayed downstairs and i just you know waited outside the clubhouse for people to trickle out and i probably talked to about 20 people um most off the record a little bit on the record as they were all kind of just uh, heading out 
you know, to, at the end of a season. And I uh, did see Farhan down there. And, 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 and a lot of the, the, the sort of reactions were pretty similar. Um, and Farhan, I think, sort of encapsulated it. It was, look, that, that didn't decide the game. Uh, you know, we know that that, that check swing did not decide the game. There were a lot of other things that happened in the course of that nine innings that could have changed that game. Um, but you never want a season, especially a season like that one, to end with your hands up in the air uh, going, uh, what, th- this, really? This is how it ends? Hmm. Kind of a moment. And that, that's that's what it was. <clears throat> and, you know, I've seen kind of two different sort of camps kind of sort of start to begin to separate themselves. And one is, is really the camp of, well, come on, you know, uh, he was 0 for 17 against Max Scherzer and, you know, uh, Scherzer in a two strike count has been almost unhittable. And, you know, and, you know, it was like 99% that the Giants are going to lose there. So one more pitch wouldn't have made a difference, but the whole like focus of this game from a team building standpoint has been about probabilities and about, um, you know, trying to increase your probabilities of winning. and But the romance of this game refuses to be beaten out. There are still things that will happen that you don't expect. There are still things that happen that will go against the probabilities and, and have you hoping, hoping like like mad that, that uh, your team will somehow, you know, buck the probabilities. And, and that's when you have the Kirk Gibson moments. That's when you have the Lamont Wade Jr. moments. That's when, you know, games turn around that shouldn't turn around. And those are the moments that make you a fan and keep you coming back. And the Giants and Wilmer Flores were cheated out of perhaps maybe having that moment. And that's I think that's just a loss, honestly, not just for Giants fans, but for all of baseball. Yeah, I have no patience for that argument. I have zero patience for the people going like, ah, he wasn't going to get a hit. Like, I, I get it. He wasn't likely to get a hit. The odds were against him getting a hit. But uh, you're talking about earlier this year on a 1-2 count, Max Scherzer gave up a grand slam to a reliever. Like, that is what happens in baseball sometimes. You know, that's the romance of it. You're talking to someone who watched Barry Zito get an RBI single off of Justin Verlander in the World Series. That happens. Like, that happens. I mean, it's it. that's the romance of baseball. So, yes, it was unlikely. You still, you want to see. You just want to see. At the same time, uh, w- the broader idea is that uh, Mike Stremski was 0 for 13 in the series. You had Lamont Wade Jr., 1 for 10. You had Evan Longoria, 2 for 17. They just weren't hitting. They were an awful offensive team. And that's really what happened in the NLDS. The, the check swing call stunk. It was awful, and we will remember it for the end uh, until the end of days. But uh, yeah, that's that wasn't why the Giants lost the series. Yeah, they they really did miss Brandon Belt more than the the Dodgers missed Max Muncie in the series, which I didn't think was going to be possible because Max Muncie was such a difference maker against the Giants this season. He had eight home runs against the team that gave up the fewest home runs in the major leagues. Eight of the 144, I believe, they gave up, which is like almost 6% of the home runs hit against Giants pitching was hit by Max Muncie. So I thought, well, clearly they're going to miss him more than the Giants uh, are going to miss Brandon Belt. Uh Uh-uh. The Giants really missed Brandon Belt (laughs) in this series. They're left-handed hitters really struggled. And, you know, I, I, I do think that it's as big a, a hat tip to the Dodgers pitching. The Dodgers pitching was just so good in the series, but there were pitches to hit. Even Wilmer Flores in his final at bat, the <laughs> first pitch he took was a Scherzer breaking ball that was right down the middle. You know, and he was, uh, he wasn't, yeah, he wasn't ready for it. He was, he was looking fastball probably. And you could see from his body language as he steps out of the box, it's like, oh man, that, that's probably going to be the best pitch I'm going to see. And uh, but but yeah, you still want to be able to have a resolution. You still want don't want the umpires 
to be able to, you know, basically make the final ar- arbitrary decision that ends a series like that. And, and that's what's unfathomable to me is that, you know, if you're Gabe Morales, you have to be 100% sure that he went around. And there's no way you could have been. Uh, and, and he also blew a check swing call on Corey Seager. That was an obvious swing when he was the third base on, at Dodger Stadium earlier in the series. And, you know, and I got this again and again from, from, from people as they were leaving the clubhouse. You know, they knew from the moment they saw this umpiring draw um, that it was going to be bad, that they were going to have an outsized uh, sort of um, kind of impact on, on a series between two very, very evenly matched clubs. Two clubs were very little separated them uh, all season long. Two clubs that were, had the best chase rates, one, two, in, in the major leagues uh, and, and were incredibly disciplined. If you had a bad umpire in, in this series, a bad umpire is going to stand out. And we saw some some pretty bad ball strike calls from Angel Hernandez, um, you know, from Ted Barrett, who, you know, let's 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 give Ted Barrett his his due. Uh, he was also the plate umpire for Matt Cain's perfect game, so not <laughs> not going to go down as as the worst villain in, in Giants franchise history. But yeah, I mean, the, the zones they knew they 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 got some absolute wild cards. It was the way one person uh, t- uh, told me they said we're going to have three wild cards out of five games, and that's exactly kind of what happened. Um, and, and you could go back to Chris Bryant's uh, um, strikeout in the fourth inning after Brandon Crawford let off with a single, and he saw five straight balls and didn't swing at any of them, and he ended up striking out because two of them were called strikes. And that increased the run expectancy by almost a full run. Uh, that that probably changed the game a lot more than the Wilmer Flores check swing. Uh, but, you know, it's you deal with it both sides. The Dodgers had to deal with it as well. Um, you just hate to see... You know, such a great season where two teams just battled all year. They literally went 12 and 12 against each other, 107 to 106 wins uh, in the division, and you just you just want to see that absolutely play out on the field without uh, without any outside interference. And I don't think that was going to be possible with the umpiring crew. And you know what? There are even some people who have conspiracy theories that are like, "Hey, maybe MLB wanted the umpiring crew to look terrible so they can start to build some consensus for robot umps." And I don't buy that. But you know, hey, you know what? <laughs> De facto, it might be how it turns out. I'm still trying to process uh, the idea that Angel Hernandez was the best umpire in the series, or at least the quietest. I don't know. That that kind of blew my mind. But I remember reading your piece on your thoughts about uh, Farhan and what he said and what the team said about the, the calls and things like that. What really stuck out uh, for me was the idea that the Giants had to prepare differently, that they had to, like, okay, we can't just... Uh, take that first pitch or we can't, you know, we have to make different swing decisions based on the umpire. That fascinated me because I knew that the Giants got granular with their attacks and uh, with, you know, their game plans and all that stuff. I didn't really realize it was granular down to the umpire, but I guess of course it would be. I mean, yeah, it's if you have an umpire that you know is going to give you a little bit more off the plate or or might be a little bit more inconsistent and, and you do have to think with two strikes, it's not necessarily going to be completely up to you uh, to determine what the zone is. Um, then, yeah, if you have an opportunity to be more aggressive early in the count, particularly on fastballs, uh, then you might want to think about doing that. I don't think it radically altered their approach, but I think that they definitely um, had that in mind uh, at times in this series. And um, But, you know, again, the Dodgers pitching was was very, very good. I mean, and, and now we've seen that, uh, you know, they've shown some cracks against the Braves a little bit while falling behind... 0-2 on a couple of walk-off hits, and and I, I would not I would not be surprised really if it's all said and done, and if the Braves do win the pennant, uh, that the, the Dodgers wouldn't tell you, you know what, that that NLDS really took a lot out of us, and uh, and might have uh, really 
been one of the reasons that they weren't able to advance. And a long way to go, obviously, and the Braves have been up 2 nothing and, and haven't closed it out on the Dodgers before. But, you know, right now it's it's certainly a very interesting and compelling NLCS, more so than I think a lot of people might have expected. Yeah, I mean, I did, let's be very clear. I do not trust uh, the Braves, and I do trust the Dodgers to win four games out of five. It sounds daunting when you put it like that, four games out of five. How, you know, gosh, against a team as good as the Braves, uh, I, I still don't trust it. At the same time, someone uh, on the internet made a comparison to the 1993 uh, championship series where the Braves, who had to grind and grind and grind to win 104 games just to get in to the uh, NLCS, they ran into a Phillies team that they were supposed to steamroll, and man, they were a little bit tired. They they had ground so much that uh, the Phillies were able to to steal the championship series from them. And I think there are, you know, obviously it's apples and oranges, but there are parallels. And the Giants, I mean, they had to they made the Dodgers bring in uh, uh, Rios uh, as a reliever. They they made the Dodgers uh, do uh, uh, bring in Max Scherzer as a reliever. They had the Dodgers use Max Scherzer as a starter in the wild card games it wasn't even available uh twice in the the nlds like they pushed the dodgers and made them do things that weren't what they would have done otherwise and you're seeing that that has an effect in the nlcs yeah the the dodgers are one of the best uh, assemblies of talent basically all time and the giants have made life incredibly difficult for them and are still making life difficult for them based on the residual effect of everything they've had to do to try to chase down that division and now just to to squeak out of that series and i i even don't think that one team was going to beat the other one whichever uh, team advanced between the 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 giants and and dodgers it was going to be one team just outlasting the other one <laughs> and it was just it was so compelling, the theater between these two teams all year. And we're going to be talking about this race for a long, long time. And we're going to be talking about this series for a long, long time. But, you know, as Logan Webb said, resolute young lad that he is, this isn't the last time that we're going to be facing the Dodgers in the postseason. So uh, it's uh, it definitely does add an extra layer of spice to the NL West. And 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 I, I can't wait to see what, what these two teams look like next year. And uh, that is a good chance to segue into what was probably the best development uh, of the 2021 season uh, or, you know, yeah, I'd say probably the best development of the 2021 season is this idea that Logan Webb is like a guy. He is a cult hero now. He has a postseason resume and he is uh, just like the horse, the ace of the giant staff. I, man, I did not see that one coming. You know, it's it's funny. A lot of people behind the scenes, um, Kyle Haynes, the farm director, told me a while back. It's it's uh, you know there are some people who get a lot of sort of prospect love in this game, and he would say, you know, why isn't Logan Webb uh, getting the same recognition as some of these other guys? You know, some of the Padre prospects or some of the Dodger prospects, because we think this guy's really really good and. Um, you know, and, and you sort of you sort of saw that he had some pitches that could potentially be elite, but this was really a work in progress. Uh, not not only the pitch design people, uh, Brian Bannister's group, um, Gabe Kapler's group. You know, the, the way that they had to bring him along. Uh, not only watching his innings, uh, putting him on the injured list for you know about a three or four week span uh, earlier in the year just to nip any sort of shoulder thing in the bud, and that you know pretty much set him up to be able to go on the run that he went on. Um, but yeah, it's it's just a, I think it's a triumph of, of the whole organization to be able to have Logan Webb kind of you know come out of the season as a fully formed top top of the rotation type of pitcher, which is so valuable when you have when you consider the fact that everybody else is a free agent. Alex Wood's a free agent. Kevin Gosman's a free agent. 
Anthony DiScalfani is a free agent. Johnny Cueto is a free agent. Um, you know, Tyler Beatty didn't really work out uh, this year to become a rotation piece. So, you know, they've got a lot of work to do. And I do think we'll see, you know, at least one of those guys, maybe two uh, back uh, from the rotation. Uh, maybe they'll try to re-sign them. But it was going to be really important that they had somebody that they could just plug in and say, okay, we've got this guy. You know, this is one spot that we don't need to worry about. And you thought maybe it would be Logan Webb as a number four starter. Instead, it's Logan Webb as potentially the opening day starter next year. And, and that's uh, that's just a huge, huge development. It was uh, common for me, in both in these podcasts and in my writing, to be like, uh, uh, you know, the only giant starter under contract for next year's Logan Webb. And it was like ominous, you know, the tone was like, ooh, that is, ooh, I, I don't like the sound of that. And now it's like, the only starter under contract for the Giants next year is Logan Webb. And that's, oh, that's a great start. And like the change of that is like, it's so important heading into this offseason because to to build 80% of a rotation, look, I know the Giants have had success with Esclafani and uh, uh, Kevin Gossman and Alex Wood. Like they have done great things with undervalued starting pitchers, but 80% of the rotation, there is so much that can go hinky with all that. And just to have this guy, this one guy and say, okay, well, at least the top of the rotation has a guy is the most important development of the season. You know, they're not guaranteed to have every decision work out. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's Aaron Sanchez from 800 yards away waving at you saying, hey, don't forget <laughs> about me. I, I got three million bucks to, to mm-hmm. not be very good. Um, but uh, yeah, so, you know, they, they could make bets on other people who they bring in who don't work out next year. So the fact that they have somebody they can count on uh, is is a great start. And you know, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how they think about, you know, rebuilding and retooling this rotation because they do have a lot of work to do. Yeah, I, you know, I'm wondering what the, the balance is going to be, if it's going to be, uh, uh, if they're going to throw money at one starter, if they're going to throw money at two, if they're really confident in their ability to find the Alex Woods of the world and, you know, just kind of build around Logan Webb that way, which seems a little risky, but I don't know. You have a, a year more of development from the pitchers in the minor league system. Uh, you don't have anyone that stands out necessarily, but, you know, Sammy Long is a quality prospect. Uh, Sean Jelly is a quality prospect. Uh, they have a lot of ways to, to mix and match. I'm really curious what their balance is going to be and how much money they're going to throw at the problem. Yeah, you know, the one guy who's really exciting in the minor leagues is Kyle Harrison. Uh, and he's mm-hmm. you know still a little ways away, but, you know, he's somebody who could be uh, you know, basically the 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 Walker Bueller that the that the Dodgers develop. I mean, he's he's that good from the left side. He's he's a high school kid. He's got a lot of youth on his side, a lot of projection. Um, you know, this is somebody who's who's really uh, could take things by storm. And you know, the Giants don't have a billion pitching prospects in their system, but you look at what they did in the minor leagues, and they just struck out the world, especially in the low minors. So um, it's coming. It just may not be here next year, but there is quite a lot of pitching talent in the pipeline. And I, I walked away from my conversation with Brian Bannister a couple weeks ago, just really impressed by the amount of progress uh, that they were able to make um, on the pitching side, because we know how many hitting prospects they have in their system. And and uh, and, and you know what? It's going to be really fun to watch them in the Arizona Fall League. This is as good a crop, I think, that they've sent to the Fall League in, in quite some time, too, with Marco Luciano and and uh, uh, Patty Barrels, Patty, uh, um, pa- Patrick Bailey, and, and, and also, you know, trying to get uh, Hunter Bishop back uh back to a point where he can um, kind of make some progress in his development as well. So, it, I mean, it really is an interesting time uh, for the organization overall. And, you know, they, I think Elliot Ramos will probably see him in the big leagues next year as well. Um, he's been very, very young for his age at every level. So 
uh, yeah, there's just a lot of, of interesting storylines to watch here moving forward. Yeah, what a crop uh, of prospects the, the Giants have in the minor leagues. And I think that that's the next uh, kind of transition into their final form, where this is a surprising season for the Giants. And it's one that didn't come with like, oh, Joey Bart hitting 30 home runs, or Marco Luciano is up, Elliot Ramos is going to be a 30-30 player this year. Like, you thought if the Giants were going to make some sort of weirdo 100-plus win season year, that it was going to be the prospects advancing faster than expected. It wasn't like that at all, and I think that's the next step in the Farhan era, is folding these prospects in, making them successful, and that allows the Giants to spend goofy money on some of the complimentary pieces to keep their own players like Kevin Gossman. Like, those rookies, those prospects are going to subsidize the veteran salaries, which is gross if you think about it for too long, but it's also what's going to happen. And, you know, the Giants should or could or, you know, they have a chance to be something of like a a perpetual motion machine like the Dodgers have been. That's really what you aim to do is win and develop at the same time. And then that just you keep the top spinning and it's so hard. And when you do it for a sustained period, you do what the Dodgers have done. You do what the 90s Braves have done. And obviously, I think it's centered around pitching. Uh, you have dominant pitching, and that just gives you a chance to win every single day. So, you know, I, I don't know if, if the Giants are anywhere near that yet, but they're trending in the right direction. But here, here's one I, I want to pose to you. Um, how should the Giants think about the catching position? Because I don't think Joey Bart really is going to be in the minor leagues much longer. I think if, if you were to maybe uh, ask him privately, he, he would probably tell you that he, he may have expected to be in the big leagues and established already. Um, you know, he certainly has gotten the reps, I think, that they wanted him to get at by this point. Um, so what do you do with Joey Bart? How do you think about the catching position? And and we know that, uh, you know, Buster Posey's got a $22 million option. He's been very cagey about, you know, what his plans are about playing next year. I, there's really no reason to think that he wouldn't want to play next year because uh, he had such a great season. Um, but you know what? He also missed a couple more games with the foul tip uh, uh, when Kirk Casale took over. Never went on the injured list, but so, I mean, he has had a few of those, and, and you know, you, he's he's obviously someone who's very considerate and and and, and thoughtful. Uh, I I don't know if something like that is going to be uh, maybe a detriment to him coming back, or or I guess we'll find out soon enough what happens here. But uh, how how do you think the Giants should? should think about the catching position. Let's assume uh, for this thought exercise that Buster Posey is coming back. Uh, I would need a peek at the Giants' internal notes on Joey Bart and what, how much they like him. Because again, he was drafted by the previous regime. So does the current regime, the you know, does Kyle Haynes and Farhan right now, do they think Joey Bart is going to be, at the very least, uh, uh, an above-average major league catcher, right? Doesn't have to be an all-star, doesn't have to be an MVP. Do they internally project him to be an above-average major league catcher? If they do, well, okay, they are going to, I think catching is a great position position to have this problem at because you can rest Posey, you can play Bart, uh, you can share time at catcher like you can't with any other position. And I think it would work out. You just It's a time-sharing arrangement. If their internal notes say, gosh, we're just not so sure that hit tool is going to play. We're wondering if this is going to be you know 178 batting averages with a 400 slugging percentage, which is fine, but it might never get better than that. If that's their internal metric, then you know trading him for a starting pitcher uh, this offseason would make a ton of sense. And then he can bring back the Kirk Asali uh, type player, or you know they can find another one. 
that's the the difference is how do the Giants look at Joey Bart? We honestly don't know. I mean, it's not like they're telling us off the record, uh, you know, hey, you know, we don't think this guy's really that good. Like, we're, we don't know. So that it's all contingent upon how they view Joey Bart. Well, off the record, they'll tell you that they really like the player. They see a lot of value in the player. Of course, on the record or off the record, that's what they're going to say because <laughs> they, they they don't want you to think that they're going to shop Joey Bart at some point. But I to me, I think it's it's maybe uh, to... to maybe make the question a bit broader. Um, how do they think about Joey Bart vis-a-vis Patrick Bailey? Who do they like better? And we know one guy they drafted. Uh, but, you know, if they were to trade a Joey Bart uh, for, um, you know, a pitching or, or some other help, that would make a lot of sense. Um, and also, they have Ricardo Henevis in the minor leagues, too, and, and they really like him. Uh, he's a guy who's who's got a big frame, uh, who they think can be a, a good big league catcher. Uh, they've got a lot of... Um, they think they think a lot of his the head on his shoulders. Uh, got a guy who can catch a good game. Um, you know, yeah. You know, how do they think about this in terms of what they have at the position? I just think it 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 sets up for them to trade Joey Bart. I've thought that for a long time. I don't think it's necessarily something they have to do, but it's such an easy place for them to pivot to, uh, given that they've got a lot of work they're going to have to do on this roster, and he's he's sort of a piece that's coming along at not the right time. Uh, and someone that the organ that the 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 industry is going to value. Um, I don't know if he's necessarily going to be someone who could um, kind of you know I guess be an anchor piece to a, to a big blockbuster trade. But you know what they they avoided having to deal him to get Chris Bryant or any of the other people that they uh, have gotten along the way. And I think that they they they've seen the opportunity cost of you know what deal they couldn't make down the road if they gave up Joey Bart at some point in the past. And, and this offseason may be the opportunity that they have uh, to turn him into something that they could um, maybe even uh, use a little bit more. And I think that starts with pitching, probably. Yeah, I think my personal philosophy is to ignore anyone kind of below Joey Bart uh, as far as, like, expectations. If Bailey, if Henevez were to pan out, that's like a hope. Like, yes, I'm thinking that could happen. I'm thinking that should happen. I am not going to count on it at all. And I think uh, Patrick Bailey's start to the season uh, maybe put the fear of bonds into them because it's like, okay, this guy is just not hitting at all. We have to give him a little bit of a reset. The reset, man, did it work? But at the same time, it, it almost gives me the same feeling of like, the Giants can't draft Buster Posey. They have the catch of the future right here. It's Pablo Sandoval. And it's like, I don't think you can think of that. You you know, it's like you just have to assume that, uh, you know, Buster Posey, you have to assume that he's not going to compete with Sandoval for at-bats. Maybe he comes up in uh, 2014. You don't know this. Obviously, it worked out very, very differently than anyone could have expected. But I just, I, you have to ignore Patrick Bailey, I think, at this point and hope that he, you know, makes good on his first round promise. But right now, it's just, it's the question of Bart and Posey and is he going to be an above-average major league catcher? If so, you stick with Bart, and then if Bailey comes up, well, then you've got the Cepeda-McCovey question. You can figure that out later. Um, but, you know, I think if they're worried about Bart being an above-average catcher, a guy who can make all-star games uh, maybe a couple of times in his career, then you have to start thinking, okay, what's the industry perception of him, and can we get better value for him in a deal for a starting pitcher? Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's a puzzle. You have to. <laughs> there are a lot of different ways you can try to put it together. Um, but what, what's interesting is this, this is a front office that's had to be extremely resourceful. And we knew they'd have to be very resourceful because of all the contracts they had on the books. A big, big, big chunk of them are expiring uh, You know, now. Johnny Cueto's expired. Brandon Belt has expired. Do they bring him back? 
um, you know, Buster, we know they have the option. Uh, you know, Kevin Gosman had the qualifying offer. That's 18 plus million. Uh, that's expiring. They've got a lot of money that has just fallen off the books. And we all sort of saw this as the time period before we knew they were going to win 107 games this year as, the, you know, sort of the big sort of fulcrum uh, for, for Farhan, right? Because uh, this was, okay, they're done waiting out all the expiration of these contracts. Now the room has been cleared out. They can start, you know, putting in a nice sleeper sofa. And what kind of sleeper sofa do they want? I don't know. Will it be upholstered? Will it be leather? They can make those decisions based on what their preferences are. They don't have to necessarily uh, deal with all these inherited pieces. Now, they can go out and they can you know, make some of the big, big moves. And so we've seen them be resourceful with all these small moves. And now they are resourceful and have a lot of money. So what are they going to do? What are some of these big decisions going to be? Uh, it's 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 fascinating because all the little stuff has ended up being big stuff. So now that we're at the big stuff, what is the big stuff going to be? I don't know. It's going to be a pretty fascinating offseason. And let's just hope that it isn't an offseason where we have nothing to do because there is a lockout. Ooh, I don't even want to think about that. But yeah, it is. It, this has been the offseason I've been writing about. It feels like since the end of 2018, 2019. I mean, I have been looking forward to this offseason for years because, well, look, they're, they're not going to have to pay Buster Posey anymore. They're not going to have to pay Brandon Crawford anymore. And well, I guess they are, and that's a good thing. So, like, everything's different now, but I, I think you have to bring Brandon Belt back. I, I'm, You know, you, if you look at the first basemen uh, who are free agents, you assume that Freddie Freeman and the Braves are going to work out something. Uh, Anthony Rizzo, he's fine, but he's 32. Uh, maybe you can consider Kyle Schwarber a first baseman. Like, there are options, uh, but I do think that Brandon Belt fits on so many levels. I've written about it. Um, but after that, it's, gosh, you know, it's the Giants don't have that many holes. I think one of the biggest questions is, can they trust Mike Yastrzemski to be anything more than a fourth outfielder, considering uh, the end of a season, how his season went? He's a great piece, a, a flexible piece, but uh, penciling him in for 162 games might not be uh, what the Giants want to do next year. Uh, there's a lot of questions, and there aren't a ton of players to throw money at, but there will be a few, and I still expect the Giants to throw a bunch of money at someone. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the Yastrzemski's uh, of the world, uh, you know, and Alex Dickerson was, was was kind of a main piece and now he's a guy that was the last guy in the playoff roster you know they're gonna they're probably gonna non-tender some people um and uh those are always difficult decisions to make um and they're gonna have to add some people to the 40 man to to block them from the rule five you know they, they're, they're not gonna want to expose somebody like a david vr who had a really really nice year at double a a tough tough place to hit while playing you know basically a big league third base so you know they're gonna have to you know chop some wood on this roster to make sure they can fit on the people that they want um and you know, it's where do they go from here? You know, they they they've, they've said they wanted to you know get better every single year. I just don't know how you do that when you've won 107 games. Right. And we asked each we asked ourselves this question over and over and over: Is this sustainable? They went 16 and 10 in May. Is this sustainable? They went 18 and 10 in June. At some point, they answered the question: Yes, this is sustainable. And now we ask: Is this repeatable? And how much do they want to run it back and really believe that it's repeatable? And I think that's probably a question that they're wrestling with quite a bit. 
I think we should be very clear that next season, like the projection in your head should be something like 95 games. And that's not a slight to the Giants. It's not a slight to the organization. It's just what happens to a team that wins 107 games. They don't win 107 next year. They don't win 103 next year. It's so much has to go right to win 107 games. that That's why it's so rare. So you have to think of the Giants as almost like a 95 win team. The flip side is that you can say the same thing about the Dodgers. They have a ton of questions. They're going to be more like a 95 win team. The battle's still going to be there. It's just going to be on a different margin. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think the Giants, it's sustainable. And I think they're going to have to, to work on some of the, you know, the same magic, the same getting the, the pitchers who are maybe undervalued. They're going to have to get the Lamont Wade juniors uh, from other organizations who don't know what, you know, maybe what they have. Uh, they they should be able to do that, uh, but it's not guaranteed. So uh, it's going to be a real interesting offseason. A lot's in flux. And, you know, before we sign off and before we get to, I'm, I'm about to leave for the ballpark to go to the sort of postmortem press conference where we will ask some of these questions of management. So we'll have that coverage for you on the athletic site. I just want to circle back, um, not to, you know, belabor the point, but basically with two strikes against Max Scherzer, Wilmer Flores had about maybe, um, I don't know, a little less than a two in 10 chance of reaching base and extending that game. Uh, in two strike counts, Max Scherzer held hitters to like a 170 average. He also gave up 10 home runs in about 400-something plate appearances. And that was a golden plate appearance where one swing could make a team win or lose the game. A homer would have won it. And 10 home runs in about 400 plate appearances, that's 1 in 40. Wilmer Flores had probably about a 1 in 40 chance uh, to hit a home run that would have clinched the series for the Giants. And we didn't get to see it. We didn't get to see him try. And uh, so, you know what? I think that's something baseball's got to do something about. Uh, it's not the reason that they lost, but it's just too bad that it we didn't get to see how it would have played out. So I just wanted that final thought on there uh, for all the people who say that they would have lost anyway. But you know what? We'd like to see it happen. We'd like to have seen it. One more pitch. <sighs> you just brought me back down into the dumps, Andy. My sorry, goodness. sorry. <laughs> All right, this has been episode 171 of the Bags and Brisby podcast. Uh, we will be back at some point uh, this winter, I believe, to uh, talk about doings and transpirings, and hopefully there is no lockout or something weird. Um, but, you know, it'll be a, a less regular schedule now that the season is over. So I had fun talking to you this year, Andy. I did too. Yeah, thank you. And um, had fun uh, sitting next to you for all those uh uh, playoff games as well, and, uh, and rest up that that elbow and uh, get your typing fingers ready for next year. You know, something that I haven't uh, tweeted about and that you might not have noticed is that when Wilmer Flores was called out on that check swing, I pushed my rolly office chair away from the, the desk in the press box with <laughs> both elbows, and it really hurt. So I just want you to know that I'm not going to uh, quit being an idiot. It's just in my DNA. I'm just right. that stupid. We'll, 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 wrap right. you, we'll wrap you in bubble wrap for the World Series. How's that? <laughs> All right. Well, enjoy the postseason postmortem, and uh, we will talk to you soon. And thanks, everyone, for listening. And we will be back, and we'll talk about some Giants. Thanks. Thanks.